Lance Armstrong is one of the greatest athletes the world has ever seen. He won the Tour de France seven times in a row. Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong. Isn't that a great American name? Big headline this morning. Today, Armstrong is currently under investigation for doping-related charges. And performance-enhancing drugs. Armstrong denied the allegation. I have never doped. Taking EPO, testosterone. He lied and he lied and he lied and he lied. We have nothing to hide. Armstrong is the most tested athlete in history. Personally, I think Lance is as clean as they get. I think he was guilty. I know what I know, and I know what I do, and I know what I did. For the people that don't believe in cycling, the cynics and the skeptics, I'm sorry for you. I'm sorry you can't dream big, and I'm sorry you don't believe in miracles. I'm a fan of the Tour de France for as long as I live, and there are no secrets. This is a hard sporting event, and hard work wins it. Man for life, Lance Armstrong's career is a Stripped of his Tour de France titles by the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency. It's truly one of the worst stories in sport. Armstrong says he's ready to speak candidly to Oprah Winfrey today about the long allegations against him. Did you ever take banned substances or blood dope? Yes. EPO? Yes. Testosterone? Cortisone? Human growth hormone? Yes. 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 But I'll spend the rest of my life trying to earn back trust and, and, and apologize to people for the rest of my life. Well, good morning, One Church. How y'all doing? Fantastic. Wasn't that awesome about Mackenzie getting baptized? It is so awesome. Let's give it up one more time for her. It takes a lot of courage, a lot of courage just to be able to be able to make that happen. And I know we have adults, we have students, we have kids, week after week after week, just giving their lives to Christ. And we love celebrating life change here at OneChurch.tv. We really do. Because we believe that Jesus and God is real and that he can change your life. So before we dig into you, let me just give you a, a big promo of this series. The reason why we're doing this series isn't to bash any type of celebrities. The reason why we do this series is we believe that God has something to say, not only to Lance Armstrong, but to you and me. Because just like Lance, just like Katy Perry last week, just like a lot of these people we're going to be talking about, all of us have stuff. All of us have junk in our lives. And so many times we think that God, Jesus, just wants to condemn us. But we learned last week in John 3.17, everybody knows John 3.16, right? But John 3.17 said that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, to judge the world, but to save the world. And we believe that is so true, so true. Today, we're going to be looking at what would Jesus say to Lance Armstrong. If you think about it, Lance has had a, had a lot of highs and lows in his life, a lot of lows and highs. He was born just north of Dallas in Plano, Texas. Uh, his dad left him at the age of two, never to return. His, uh, he grew up in a single uh, family home. His mom, Linda, had to, make, uh, had to work multiple jobs just to make ends meet. Um, and he, his whole life, he was a competitor. He's had to fight it out. He's had to. At age 25, Lance got the news from his doctor that he had stage 3 testicular cancer. The cancer had spread to his brains, his lungs, his abdomen. And Lance's urologist, Jim Reeves, told Armstrong his chances were really 20 to 50%. But afterwards, this is what his urologist had to say. Almost none his chances were. We told Lance it was initially 20 to 50% chance, mainly just to give him hope. But with the kind of cancer he had, with the x-rays and the blood test, there was almost no hope. Yet Lance fought it. Lance beat it. With the fierceness of his competitive spirit, he beat the cancer and decided to beat everyone else in cycling no matter what it took. Lance won seven consecutive Tour de France victories. Now, that's 1999 to 2005. And just in case you don't know a lot about the Tour de France, the Tour de France is a grueling three-week race covering 2,200 miles on a bicycle, right? I mean, some of you are like, okay, I could do that in a car, yeah, in a bicycle, right? Just to give you a heads up. And not only on a bicycle going through Iowa, Right? No, not Iowa, where it's flat. No, they did it in France. They did it going up the Pyrenees and Alps mountain chains. <laughs> yes, sir. Lance is a fighter. He's a fierce competitor who would win at pretty much at all costs. A cancer survivor, winner of these seven Tour de France victories, 
beating cancer and, and actually starting a Live Strong Foundation to help other people who struggle with cancer. And yet on January the 17th, 2013, it all came crumbling down with his admittance to actually taking drugs in the Oprah Winfrey interview. Let's watch this. Live around the world, after years of denial. I have never doped. Is there evidence? Where is evidence of doping here? I'm sick and tired of these allegations. I'm sorry you don't believe in miracles. A federal investigation that was ultimately closed. Armstrong has consistently denied the doping claims. His lawyer calls the report a witch hunt. And finally, a reasoned decision by USADA, the United States Anti-Doping Agency. A dramatic twist in the case against Tour de France winner Lance Armstrong. Seven-time Tour de France winner Lance Armstrong. UCI will ban Lance Armstrong from cycling. Stripped of his titles and banned for life from elite competition. Lance Armstrong has no place in cycling. Then, abandoned by his sponsors and his reputation destroyed, the final blow. Lance Armstrong is stepping down as chairman of the Livestrong Foundation. For months, speculation mounted. Would Lance Armstrong ever address the epic fall in a formal interview? Now, the worldwide exclusive, Oprah and Lance Armstrong. So here we are in Austin, Texas. A few days ago, you texted to the Associated Press and said, I told her to go wherever she wants, her meaning me, mm -hmm. and I'll answer the questions directly, honestly, and candidly. That's all I can say. Those are your words. Those are my words. When we first met a week ago today, we agreed that there would be no holes barred and there would be no conditions on this interview and that this would be an open field. I think that's best for both of us. I, I agree. <laughs> so here we go. Open field. So let's start with the questions that people around the world have been waiting for you to answer. And for now, I'd just like a yes or no. Okay. Okay? This whole conversation, we have a lot of time, will be about the details. Yes or no, did you ever take banned substances to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. Yes or no? was one of those banned substances, EPO? Yes. Did you ever blood dope or use blood transfusions to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. Did you ever use any other banned substances like testosterone, uh, cortisone, or human growth hormone? Yes. Yes or no? In all seven of your Tour de France victories, did you ever take banned substances or blood dope? Yes. In your opinion, was it humanly possible to win the Tour de France without doping? Seven times in a row. Not in my opinion. Sport, he's formally stripped of all of his titles. He's disgraced. In fact, listen to what the president of the International Cycling Union has to say about Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong has no place in cycling, and he deserves to be forgotten in cycling. He is pariah. This is a landmark day for cycling. I had to look up what pariah is, right? I'm like, what type of piranha is he talking about? No. Pariah is a person who is hated and rejected by other people. And when I heard that, I'm like, dang, there's a lot of hating on this guy. In fact, the, the tour director of the Tour de France has this to say about Lance Armstrong. We wish that there was no winner for this period over the, over the past seven years. The title should remain blank. We wish for these years to remain without winners. No one will ever remember the name Lance Armstrong. Dang. That's just mean. It's harsh. In fact, listen to another clip, a very quick clip, of Oprah asking Lance Armstrong a very important question. Watch this. Every article that I've seen this week and everything that is written about you begins with the word disgraced. It's, it's terrible. Do you feel disgraced? Of course. But, um, but I also feel humbled. Mm -hmm. I feel um, ashamed. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, this is, 
This is ugly stuff. In a way, I, I just assumed we'd get to that point. The story was getting out of control, which was why my worst nightmare. And um, I had this place in my in my mind that they would all leave. I knew that they would all leave. Lance says, talking about his sponsors. I mean, if you think about it, how could Lance lie? How could he do it? And what we're going to be talking about this: What would Jesus say to Lance Armstrong? What would Jesus say to Lance Armstrong? I truly believe is the same thing Jesus would say to me and to you, but especially to me, because Lance and I we have a lot in common. Let me tell you the reason why we have a lot in common. It wasn't that funny. All y'all leave. Okay. Lance and I are 43 years old. We were both uh, born in 1971. Um, a bicycle almost destroyed both of our lives. Um, for some of you who don't know, uh, uh, the bicycle almost destroyed Lance's reputation. Back two years ago, I had a really bad bicycle wreck that almost ended my life. Um, but we also have another thing in common, Lance and I, is that we're both liars. We're both liars. And the reason why I think you and I and all of us have in common with Lance Armstrong that we're liars, listen to these statistics. 80% of high-achieving high school students admit to what? 51% of high school students do not believe cheating is wrong. That's a big deal. Did you hear that? Leave that up there. Over half of high school students believe that it's not wrong to cheat. We'll go to the next one. 95% of cheating high school students said they've not been detected. Almost 85% of college students said that cheating is necessary to get ahead. That's massive. What they're saying is that if you don't lie, if you don't cheat, you're basically an idiot. Because you have to be able to do that in this real world scenario to get ahead. And then lastly... 75% of college students admitted cheating to, admitted to cheating, and 90% of college students didn't believe cheaters would be caught. So again, what would Jesus say to Lance Armstrong, to you and to me? Because why do you lie? Why do I lie? I believe one of the reasons why Lance lied is that he was pedaling away from the pain of his past. But let me show you today a story out of the Bible of a person that really could represent Lance, could represent me, and that could represent you. And it's a guy by the name of Jacob. Jacob. Because Jacob, at an early age, he learned to lie. He learned to cheat. He learned to deceive and to manipulate. He learned to play a role. And like me and like you, like Lance Armstrong, he fell into this trap of trying to cover up who he really was. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and start turning to Genesis chapter 32. If you have version, you can go ahead and go to the live uh, section of it, and that way your Bible is a little bit illuminated, because I know it, sometimes it can be dark. And let me give you some context before we dive into Genesis chapter 32. Let me give you an overview of Jacob's life. Jacob has a twin brother. His name is Esau, and Esau is, was just a very few minutes older than his brother Jacob. And that was really significant in that biblical uh, ancient culture because the oldest brother gets the birthright. And that means the birthright would be going to Esau. What is a birthright? Well, a birthright is simply, that's where the wealth is going to be going. That's where uh, the power is going to be going. Uh, the Esau would be the leader of the family. And the birthright went to Esau because he was the firstborn. So Jacob grows up in the shadow of his older brother Esau. Anybody know what it means to grow up in the shadow of an older brother or sister? Sometimes that's not fun, is it? It's not fun at all. So he grows up uh, really in the shadow of his older brother Esau. He also grows up in the shadow of a very manipulative mother, 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 mother named Rebecca. He also grows up in the shadow of a dad named Isaac that never, ever truly accepted him. Never, ever truly told him that he was loved. Just like Lance Armstrong, who longed for the approval of a father who walked out on him at two years old, Jacob longed to hear the words from his dad, I love you, I accept you, I approve of you. But Jacob never heard those words, and nor did Lance. And some of you never have heard those words as well. 
Jacob's name, get this, this is going to be on the screen. Jacob's name literally means deceiver. I mean, how would you like that for a name, right? Some of you, you know, you don't like the name that your mom or dad gave you. But to somebody to call you a deceiver, and it really was a, a foreshadowing of the person that he would become. Because twice he took something from his brother Esau. First, he stole or he swindled his brother out of the, the birthright by swindling a, a bowl of stew, stew if you will. And, um, and then secondly, he stole a blessing that was supposed to have been Esau's. You see, when Isaac grew older and older, he lost his sight. The dad lost his sight. And he was going to lay his hands upon the oldest son, Esau, and to bless him. But while he was out doing stuff, Jacob dressed as his older brother Esau. And he made his arms hairy by putting on goat skin. And he came in and the dad said, who are you? And Jacob said, I am your son Esau. So Isaac blesses Jacob thinking that he's Esau. And then Esau finds out about it. And Esau is vowing to kill his brother Jacob, because twice he stole something. So now Jacob is running for his life. And just as Lance peddled away from his past, Jacob is running from his. And those of you who live deceptively, who cover up who you are, eventually your mess will catch up with you. So deceptive people always have to keep on jumping around quite a bit. You change jobs. You move cities. And that's exactly what Jacob did. Jacob actually decided to move far away and found a relative by the name of Laban. And Laban had two daughters, Leah and Rachel. And Rachel was a 10. She was goo-goo-goo-mooga, right? Leah, her name literally means fish eyes. I can't even make this stuff up, right? Welcome to one church, right? So Jacob, the deceiver, deceiver falls in love with Rachel and asks Laban, hey, I would like to marry your daughter. So they get married, but in the middle of, you know, like right before the wedding night happens, Laban, the dad, does a switcheroo and puts Leah in there and not Rachel so that Jacob actually marries Leah. And, of course, wedding night has Leah. He wakes up and goes, you're not Rachel, right? I mean, can you get a... Why even watch reality TV, people, right? Read your Bible. This stuff is some good stuff. This is Jerry Springer stuff right here, right? So Jacob decides, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to marry Rachel anyway, and now he has two wives. Jacob thinks by marrying Rachel that she's going to fix all of his problems, and he marries Rachel, and she doesn't fix all of his problems. He keeps on lying, deceiving, and eventually he's even deceptive with Laban, and he steals and, and manipulates and gets a bunch of Laban's flock. So now Laban wants to kill him. Esau wants to kill him. And Jacob has to move again. So Jacob, he runs. He takes off. This time he packs up his wife, the one he loves, and Leah, fish eyes. And he packs up his kids, his servants, all the livestock that he manipulated to get from his father-in-law. And he's running for his life. And then a messenger catches up with Jacob and said, hey, time out. Esau, you remember Esau, your brother, the other dude who's trying to kill you? He, is, he's, he knows where you're at. He's coming with 400 men, and he's going to finish the job. He's going to make true on his promise. This is the point where Jacob, the deceiver, where everything is catching up with him. Everything is crashing down around him. And he takes all of his wives, all of his children, all of his livestock, and he sends them on ahead so that Esau will meet them before he meets him. And he's still trying to manipulate his brother. He's still trying to get out of it. He is. Because he's saying, okay, maybe, uh, you know, if once Esau realizes that I have, like, family and friends and all this stuff, maybe he won't kill me. Or maybe he'll kill them and not me. How would you like to be married to this joker, right? So he's still trying to manipulate, and it, he's at night, he's alone because all of his family, he sent them all ahead, and he's, he, and he's there, and he has this dream. And I'll tell you, this is the pivot point for Jacob. This is where it all comes crashing down. Everything's catching up with him. And he spends all night trying to strategize his way out of this one. All by himself, in the middle of the night, he experiences 
this dream with God. Watch what happens. Genesis 32, 24. This, then Jacob was left alone in the camp, and then a man, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you that this man is actually God. You'll see later. So God came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. So God shows up, and Jacob is going to be confronted with God. Verse 25. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. Ouch. Then the man, who is God, says, let me go, for dawn is breaking. But Jacob says what? I will not let you go unless you what? Bless me. God says, let me go, for it is getting light. Because, and why did God say that? Because no one can see God's face and still survive. So God in this moment is actually being very merciful to Jacob when he says, let me go. But Jacob's response is classic. I will not let you go. Until you bless me. Because Jacob's whole life has been one long wrestling match. He's wrestled with his brother Esau to get a birthright that actually wasn't his. He wrestles with his father Isaac to get approval of his dad, something he never gets. He wrestles with his father-in-law Laban to try to find purpose and significance in Rachel's beauty. And none of it has worked. He still feels empty and hollow inside. And it's in this moment with God... This is Jacob's pivot point. His life is crashing down, and at the moment, in the presence of God, something just clicks within Jacob. Because Jacob thinks, what an idiot I've been. This is where I've wanted the whole time. I've wanted the blessing of God. This is what I've spent my entire life looking for and manipulating and cheating and lying about. I've looked for the, in the approval of my father. I've looked for it in the beauty of Rachel. I've looked for it, and none of this has worked. Nothing else really matters, and I want God's blessing more than any other thing. So look what God says in this moment. Verse 30, chapter 32, verse 27. God asks, what is your name? I mean, here, this is a moment of truth. God asks a simple question. What is your name? Easy answer, unless you're Jacob, who has spent his entire life trying to be somebody he's not, pretending to be somebody he's not. Jacob has spent his entire life lying about the true nature of his name. That's exactly what he's done. Remember the moment where he goes to his father Isaac, and his Isaac, who are you? I'm Esau. This is what he's done his whole life. He's pretended to be something that he's not. Back to Lance. I think that is exactly where Lance is. He has competed and performed for so long. He has tried to control everything. He has tried to manipulate everything. I'll just control it. I can control it. And if I, and, and if I can't control it, then what I'll do is I'll determine my future by the lies that I tell. I exaggerate. I leave out key elements. I won't say it all. I'll attack those who accuse me of something. I will control. Control is a very big thing for Lance, and it's a very big thing for you. In fact, listen to what he says about control in the Oprah interview. The story was getting out of control, mm -hmm. which was why my worst nightmare. And, and I was used to controlling everything in my life. Mm -hmm. I, I controlled uh, every outcome in my life. You've been doing that forever. <laughs> Yeah, especially when it comes to sport. This is the second time in my life where I, I, I cannot control this outcome. First time was the cancer. First time was the disease, and which obviously, and now. You know, performing and controlling things will not get you where you want to go. It will not. I think Jesus would say to Lance, Lance, stop trying to control it. Stop trying to control every outcome. Because you can't. The only person who is in control is God. Because he is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. But so many of us, we white-knuckle our circumstances. And we try to control everything. I think another thing that Jesus would say to Lance Armstrong is stop trying to perform. You know, so many of us, if you're competitive... You get your esteem, how you view yourself, 
by the ranks of what you get in the race or the ranks of what you get with the letter grade or the GPA or the rank or the whatever. And God would say, stop trying to perform to find meaning in life because all of that will leave you hollow. It will. I think another thing that Jesus would say to Lance is you got your starting point is that you're going to have to start owning your own stuff. You're going to have to start owning your own stuff. Here's our big idea for today. Here's the one point I want you guys to walk away with. That a lack of confession leads to deception and loneliness. Can we say this together? A lack of confession leads to and, let's say it one more time, a lack of what? Leads to and, that's it. You know a word that I'm sick of hearing in my culture, and I use it all the time as well. It's this word, authenticity. Everybody talks about authenticity. Never has there been a more overused but under-lived out word because authenticity is the cry of all, but it's the game of a few. This is exactly what I have in common with Lance Armstrong. It's because so many times, as a pastor, I will over-exaggerate things when I'm talking, or I'll under-exaggerate things so that I make myself look good. As I tell a story, I'll tell it in such a way so that I am made out to be a better husband, a more loving husband, or a better father. And I have this tendency to conceal things and and to try to control it Or when I talk about the church, man, God's doing so many great things, and he is, but sometimes I'll I'll emphasize something over here and underemphasize this over here so that I will be made out to be a better leader or better communicator or better pastor. And you probably do the same thing as well. In fact, here's one word I want you to, you probably do this on. It's called Facebook. I mean, think about it. When is the last time you've ever posted a picture of you and your spouse arguing and you crying in the corner? (laughs) Probably didn't happen last night, right? You see, the only thing that we put on Facebook is what? Pictures, exactly right. Whoever said that, you're awesome, right? You put the good pictures on there, right? I mean, you talk about the good things that's happening to you. I mean, you tweet on Twitter about, oh, this is awesome. And you'll take your Instagram photo shoot of, you know, this meal that you got. And it's just so awesome. Or you'll, you know, you'll tweet, you know, I mean, Paris is great, right? With, you know, you by the awful tower, right? Right? Or, or, Or you'll see somebody else who's on the cruise on Facebook and you start getting into this comparison game. And you think, man, I wish my life was perfect like those, stop. Their life isn't perfect. It's not. Anytime you play the comparison game, and, and, and we always, with social media, we try to control our outcomes, and we put on this good face. We try to keep up an image. And the temptation is for us to start being somebody that we're not. In fact, listen to what Lance says about keeping up his image in this next clip. Watch this. For 13 years, you didn't just deny it, you brazenly and defiantly denied everything you just admitted just now. So why now admit it? That's the best question. It's the most logical question. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I have a great answer. I will start my answer by saying that uh, this is too late. It's too late for um, probably most people. And uh, that's my fault. You know, I view this situation as um, one big lie that I repeated a lot of times. And and as you said, it wasn't as as if I just said no and I moved off it. Right. You were defiant. Oh, yes. You called other people liars. I understand that. And... um, And and while I've lived through this process, especially the last two years, one year, six months, two, three months, Mm -hmm. um, I know the truth. Uh, The truth isn't what was out there. The truth isn't what I said. Um, And now it's gone uh, 
this story was so perfect for so long. Mm -hmm. And I mean that as I try to take myself out of the situation and, and I look at it. You overcome the disease. Uh, you win the Tour de France seven times. You have a happy marriage. You have children. I mean, it's just this mythic, perfect story. Yes. And it wasn't true. And that wasn't true. And that was not true on a lot of levels. Was it hard to live up to that picture that was being <laughs> Impossible. Impossible. Certainly, I'm a flawed character, as I well know, and, and I couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. There's this temptation that we all have about trying to make others approve of us. There's this temptation to be something that we're not, choosing to be real. And it's this thing, it's like what Lance says. He knows he's flawed, but just trying to maintain the image. And some of you, that's exactly what you try to do with social media. In fact, uh, one of our, uh, um, our counselor who's on our team, his name is Jared Hodges, he just texted me. He says, it's Facebook envy. And that's exactly what you and I have. We look at other people's lives and other people's kids and other people's honor students, and you want to do one of two things. You want to beat their honor students up, or you start internalizing and you think that you're a bad parent. And it's not that. It's not just those two options. Because when we compare, when we try to control, when we try to maintain this image, we will always lose every time because a lack of confession leads to deception and loneliness, always. When we're not real, we become very lonely, and we start living not in reality. We're living in deception. Verse 27, God asked Jacob, what is your name? And Jacob replied, Jacob. In fact, now think about this. It's a watershed moment. It's a difficult moment. that This, this is Jacob's opportunity to be real. And it makes all the difference. Jacob owns his stuff. God's changes. He basically says, you know what? I'm a deceiver. I am a manipulator. I am a cheat. I am Jacob. Listen to what, how, how God responds. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. For now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. The word Israel, the name Israel, literally means victorious with God. Stop right there. What does the name Israel mean? Maybe Hamas should figure that one out. Give you a heads up on that one. Victorious with God. Let me tell you. It doesn't matter what your name is. It doesn't matter how people have known you in the past. If you're a deceiver, if you're a liar, if you're too easy, if you're a homebreaker, a homewrecker, whatever it is, whatever, you're, whatever you used to be known, God can say, you know what? I can change your name so that you will be victorious with God. When Jacob confessed and got real with God, he experienced victory over his junk. When we confess and get real, we will experience victory over our junk. I try to be open and honest as a pastor with you guys. And I try to do that for two things. Because I want you guys to know I don't measure up. I don't want you, number one, to put me on a pedestal. Because I want you to know that I am just like you. I got mess. I don't have a perfect marriage. I don't have perfect kids. I don't have a perfect life. There are... There are Times in my life where I have huge blind spots. In fact, Howard Hendricks, one of my seminary professors, he says, the higher the ape climbs, the more he shows his rump. Right? So don't put people on a pedestal. Secondly, I want to lead by example because I believe all of us are called in community to be real with God and to be real with people. People. So God asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he's lied about his entire life. He says, I am a liar. I'm a cheat. I'm a deceiver. I am confused, conniving. But I'm also thirsting for something more. Let me tell you, this is going to be on your screen. Confession is not doing something about your sin. Confession is admitting you can't do anything about your sin. You see, let me tell you what confession's not. Confession is not you coming to God with a plan of fixing yourself. Uh-uh. Confession is you coming to God saying, I am broken and I cannot fix myself. Here's what I'm struggling with and I need your help. 
The Bible teaches that we are to confess to God, but the Bible also teaches that we're to, to confess to other people and to get real with other people. And some of you, this is where you kind of, you're out, because you're like, okay, I can talk to God. I can talk to Jesus, even though most of the times, let's just be honest, we don't, you know? But to be able to bring this up in a context of a community and to actually let other people really in on your life, this is where we do out. But listen to what James 5.16 says. Confess your sins to who? Not to a priest, not to a pastor. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Stop right there. Here's what we usually do. We, if we confess our sins, which we usually don't, but if we do, we usually leave and then we start talking bad about each other, right? Let's just be honest. Confess your sins and then what are you supposed to do? Pray, not gossip. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. What is the whole point of all of this? So that you may be what? Healed. James is not saying take your whole list of all of your junk, of everything that you've done, and stand up in front of 800 people and read it. But I do think he's saying do this with two people. Do this with three people. Tell them you don't have it all together. That's not weakness, men. That's real strength. That's bringing what is in the darkness into the light so that it can lose momentum and that you can get unstuck. You're saying, I need a group of people to help me become what God has called me to be. The rest of James 5.16 says this. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. When you confess, you will get power and you will receive, you will see some wonderful results. You will. You will find freedom from the fear of judgment. That is when you find grace and healing in the context of community. So I think... One of the things that Jesus would also say to Lance is, Lance, stop performing your way into acceptance. Lance has spent a whole lot of time on a bicycle, but I think he's also spent a whole lot of time on a bicycle because he's just been telling the cycle of lies. And Jesus would say, Lance, stop pedaling, stop performing, stop running away, own your stuff. Why? Because a lack of confession leads to deception and loneliness every single day time. But I'm going to warn you, one church, that's a risk you got to take. It's a risk though. When you're real with people and you start telling people you're junk, that's a risk. Because you don't know how they're going to act or what they're going to do. And in in fact, sometimes when I kind of share some of my mess, I get emails saying, Chris, I wish you really wouldn't do that. It makes me very uncomfortable. Because we'd rather just put people on a pedestal and then when they fall, let's just talk bad about them. Right? That's what we did with Lance. That's what we do with so many other different people. In the context of OneChurch.tv, let me tell you where this happens, this confession that leads to really knowing and getting rid of the image control. It happens not on Sunday morning, not with you staring at the back of somebody's head behind you and thinking, I think that person has lice. Right? That's not where it happens. Where it happens is in the context of an environment we created called community groups. Community groups. Community groups consist of 12 to 16 people who meet together during the week. There are people who have been, some who have been Christians for 50 years and some who aren't even Christians. They've not crossed that line of faith. But they're growing together. They're praying together. They're learning together. They do life in community together. And you know, our goal at One Church is never just to be able to amass a huge crowd. Our goal isn't about cramming people just in the seats on Sunday morning. We believe that one church, that circles are better than rows. That circles are better than rows. What what we mean by that is that we believe that sustained life change takes place best in the context of a circle, not in the rows where you're at. That is where you get real and where you discover these pivot points like Jacob had with God. We get real with God. But let me tell you three excuses that you're going to have about getting into a community group. First is this, and this is the biggest excuse I hear. Chris, I just don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. I get it. We're all busy. We're all busy. I totally understand that. 
And some, you say, well, you know, I got school and I got work and, you know, I got my kids and then my kids got this and this and this and this. I get it. We're busy. But let me say this. I would just push back with you that number one, two things. Number one, the time where you need community the most, when your life starts crumbling and imploding in you, it's too late to find it then. It is. And number two is this. That if you give an hour and a half to a community group, I, I don't know how God does it, but he will, if you prioritize that, he's, you're going to be able to get everything else done too. It's just going to happen. You're going to find that time, just like it is with tithing. When you give 10% of your income and you're like, I don't think I can do that, but when you do it, you don't even miss it anymore because God will supply let me tell you another example I hear. Chris, I went into a community group, and it wasn't that great, right? You keep on saying you've had great experiences in groups. That's not been my experience. Let me tell you guys, I've been in groups for over a decade now, and not all of my groups have been good. Let me give you a pushback on here. Not all of my groups at one church I've really liked. Now, by the way, if you've been in one of my groups and you're thinking, was that my group? The answer is no, you were great. It was another group. It was another group, right? <laughs> but, you know, all, every time I go to group, I just can't go, wee, right? I don't. I don't. Sometimes I go to group thinking, I can't believe I'm doing this. Why? I'm the, do I have to do this? And my wife says, you're the preacher. You've got to, right? And you know what? I get there, it's exactly what I need. But some of you, you, you try community groups and it didn't work out or maybe it just it never stopped meeting and you say, I'm never going to try them again. And I'm like, man, that's just bunk. I mean, how many of y'all have ever went out to eat and had a bad experience? Anybody? Did you say, I'm never going out to eat? No. You went out to eat. You tried another one. And that's what I'm asking you to do about group. If you tried a group and it wasn't the best, try another one. It was probably those freaky people that wasn't you. But let me say this. If you've tried five groups and all of them have problems, you to freaky. Just giving you a heads up. <laughs> giving you a heads up, all right? Let me give you another thing, though. The final excuse I hear is usually from mature Christians, and this is what they say. You know what? I don't really need to be in a group. I don't really need that. First, I would say, I don't know if that's really true. I really do think you do. But secondly, just hang out with me just for that. Let's just say you are true, and you're so super spiritual that you don't need accountability and belonging and care. Let me say this. Maybe my pushback would be, when in the world did the kingdom of God become all about your needs? Maybe somebody else need, needs you in that group. Maybe somebody need, else needs your wisdom, your experience. But when has the kingdom of God been all about you? You see, as I close, let me just be very, very clear. I believe that if Lance had had some people in his life who were telling him the truth and, and that Lance gave them the permission to be real with, I think there's a really strong chance that, that Lance would still be in cycling. Think about this. Isn't it true that your biggest regret, that chapter of your life that you wish you could go back and do over, that marriage, that business deal, that spring break, that test, that season, that day, that divorce, that weekend, that month that you wish you could just go back and undo. That regret might have been avoided if you had people in your life willing to tell you the truth and to love you through it. If you had people in your life willing to be tough on you and told you what you needed to hear and not what you wanted to hear. God has placed, and this is, I love this clip I'm going to show you. God had placed a Christian in Lance's life. Her name is Kristen, and this is Lance's ex-wife. And Lance, even through all of this stuff, sees something different in Kristen. In fact, listen to the words he says now about his ex-wife. Now watch this. Were there people who cared about you, who knew about this, who wanted you to stop it? Stop the lying, stop the doping? Of course. Was there anything they could have said or done? Probably not. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, and, I, and I'm going to name uh, 
Because I'm thinking about your ex-wife, Kristen. Lance and Kristen Armstrong were divorced after five years of marriage. They have three children together. 13-year-old son, Luke. 11-year-old twin daughters, Isabel and Grace. Uh, I was going to say, if I could say one name, it would be Kristen. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was... Uh, she's a smart lady. She's a, extremely spiritual. Uh, she believes in honesty and integrity and the truth. Mm -hmm. She believes that the truth will set you free. Mm -hmm. We believe differently on a lot of things. She may come at it from a religious standpoint, where I may not. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. We have three kids together. They deserve the honest truth. Mm -hmm. They deserve a dad that... Uh, that is uh, viewed as telling the truth to them, mm -hmm. to the public, you know. Was there anybody who knew the whole truth? Have you told anybody the whole truth? Um, no. No. You know what I hope the moral to the story is? But I hope the moral to the story is what Christian told you in 2009. The truth will set you free. Yeah. Yeah. She continues to tell me that. You know, as I was watching the end of this Oprah interview uh, between Lance and Oprah, and, and Oprah quoted that verse, and the truth will set you free. That is so true. But there's a part of that verse that she didn't say. In fact, I want to read to you what that verse says. Jesus said it this way in John 8:32. He said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Who is truth? Well, Jesus is the truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to my Father except through me. You want to know? When I'll, I, It's not my notes, but when I'm... When Lance and Oprah were talking, he says, you know, what do you feel? I feel disgraced. I think if Lance was doing an interview with Jesus, Jesus would end that interview saying, Lance, you know how you feel disgraced? I could be honest with you, Jesus would say. You can feel more grace now than you ever have been. Because the reason why I died on a cross is so that, the reason why I was disgraced, Jesus would say, is so that you could have grace. But in order for that to happen, you got to find the truth, and that truth is me. Friend, the way is Jesus. Student, the way is Jesus. Those who are never married, the way is Jesus. Child, the way is Jesus. Jesus is the truth. And once we start to know him, once we give up control of our lives to meet him, once we stop our pedaling away from our past, once we stop performing, we find Jesus and he sets us free. Today, you can know him. Today, you can begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can it's very simple. It basically is this. It's where you tell God, you come clean, you confess to him. God, I am broken. I cannot do this. I am a sinner. And God, I'm asking you to do it for me. I'm asking you to live this life for me. I'm asking you to come into my life so that I can truly live. And if you do that, he will hear that prayer. And you will become a Christ follower. You will become a Christian. And you know what? You're still going to struggle. You're still going to struggle with lying. You're still going to struggle with a bunch of this other stuff. But God, through his son Jesus, is going to give you a way out so that you can stand up under it. That's what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says. So I'm going to pray for you, then I'm going to answer some questions, and then I'm going to have uh, one of our guys come out, and we're going to do announcements. Let's all bow our heads, close our eyes. If you want to begin that relationship with Jesus this morning, I would just ask that you would come clean right now.
Just start. Tell God what you're feeling. Tell God of all of your junk, all the things that you've been relying on, that you've been finding your identity on. Just give that to him. Lord, all of these words, all of these lists that you're hearing, God, right now, God, I pray that you would take it away. If you're talking to God right now, wanting that relationship, pray this prayer to yourself. God, I can't do it anymore. I ask you to come into my heart, come into my life. I pray, Jesus, that you would be my Savior. And Lord, I confess that I believe in you. I'm still struggling. I still have doubts. Lord, I choose you. Because I know you've chosen me. Thank you for hearing this prayer. In Jesus' name. Now, you can look, at, look up. If that's you, I would encourage you, as the service closes, come find me. Come find another staff member. Find, just find somebody and tell them of your next step. Because we want to celebrate with you. We want to give you a Bible. We want to be able to kind of tell you where your next steps are at. We want you to kind of be like McKinsey and let you go public with your faith. That's what baptism is. So come and see me afterwards. All right. Got, got some questions. Thank you guys for texting in questions. It's always fun hearing what you guys are thinking. And, and uh, All right. Uh, this person says, what you're preaching on Facebook envy is exactly what many of our folks are struggling with. Way to go. So... Um, here's another one. Do you see the similarities between Lance Armstrong and Pete Rose? Uh, would Jesus say the same things to him? That's a great question. I don't know if you know this. Pete Rose is now a Christian. You see, Lance, we need to continue to be praying for Lance. Because you, as you can tell in that interview, Lance, that's not his belief system. But you can get so low. And I think that's exactly what happened with Pete Rose. Pete Rose is now a Christ follower, and he is going to churches all over telling about his experience. So, yeah, I do believe it's many of the same things. So, very good question, all right? All right. <clears throat> very good. Guys, thank you so much for coming. Uh, who's doing announcements? Who's coming on out? Let's give it up for Miss Katie Shelby.